This is CliffCentral.com. Welcome to Global Leadership Platform, Leadership Masterclass. Of course, multiplying leaders, moving society. That's what we try and do with this, these uh, wonderful leadership conversations. I'm Adrian Grunewald, and I've got a special guest today. Before I introduce him, for all things leadership, go to leadershipplatform.com, leadershipplatform.com. And of course, if you want to get involved on Leadership Platform app or platform, uh, a global conversation on leadership, just go to any browser, type, type in thinklead.app, thinklead.app, and register. Become part of our global conversation on leadership. Our leadership masterclass today is with Malik Milamu. He's a CEO of MTN Sudan, and he's on Skype with us all the way from there. Malik, it's great to have you on the platform. Welcome. Hi, Adrian. Thank you for the welcome. It's certainly an honor to be here. Yeah, you, you're joining the platform with many other great leaders that we have had conversations with over the years, and it's been such an honor. I've started engaging you on social media, and now you're also a global contributor on our global leadership platform, GLP. And that's also why we want to get to know you. Of course, today's conversation, we'll put several parts of it on the global leadership platform and share some outputs with all the leadership lovers out there on social media. Malik, it's uh, wonderful to have you. Let's just quickly understand your background. You haven't always been with MTN, but right now you're leading the organization in an interesting country, interesting part of the world. Before you landed up there, what, what took you there? My stay with MTN is about five years now. Um, previous to uh, being the CEO in Sudan, I worked at the MTN Group head office in, in Johannesburg as the group executive responsible for sales and distribution and customer service. Um, just before that, I also spent some time in West Africa as the CEO of MTN in Benin. Um, my previous employer before MTN was Vodacom, uh, wherein I also spent uh, uh, some time in several parts of Africa. I spent some time in South Africa as a managing executive for the Limpopo region. I did some work in Lesotho as the managing director of the business there. And uh, I also had some time in Tanzania and DRC as a chief ethics and compliance officer. Um, I have a qualification as an attorney somewhere in the distance. And uh, previous to the telecommunications, I spent about 11 years working as an executive in different positions in Botswana in the banking industry. I think that's okay. in brief. <laughs> so a lot of executive um, background, legal background, certainly a, a large portion of telecommunications uh, and then up in Africa. Did you work with Zunaid Bulbulia? I definitely did work with Zunaid Bulbulia. He's a very close friend. Good man. He, he had me speak to a lot of the executives from up Africa on leadership I don't know if yes. you've heard that even. I don't, but I do recall him doing that. Yes, I, I, I remember addressing a lot of them. Well, it's really great to have you with us, as I said, not the first time. We, we asked you to, and we will get to talking about leadership up there in Africa. You obviously have a very good insight into whether or not we're leveraging the content efficiently and effectively as leaders. And we'll talk yeah. about that was the second part of the, the conversation, the leadership masterclass. But right now, you prepared some statements that to you describe authentic leadership. And we're going to unpack each one of them separately so that we can extract it for our audience out there. And the first one that you shared in terms of what describes authentic leadership for you is 
your job as a leader is to always strive to work yourself out of a job. Uh, tell us a little bit more about that one. We've heard it, of course, in the, in the past, practically, maybe not so easy. Um, but your yeah. views on that? Expand a bit. Well, uh, Adrian, my, my view is that uh, at the end of the day, for me, that, that is at the core of everything I should be doing as a leader. It's a, it's a very short statement, but to, to actually activate such a statement, there are a lot of things you have to do. So I think the first thing is that you have to be able to put yourself in a position to understand that your job is to actually motivate, uh, support, resource uh, uh, people who know actually technically better than you do what needs to be done. You make sure that they all have the same vision and then you support them to achieve uh, results. And even if it means that they, 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 they rise higher than you do, that's my belief as a leader. That should, that should be what brings me pleasure. Um, if we focus on doing that, I think generally speaking, all the other drivers that uh, everybody is so, so concerned about as to revenue and EBITDA, and all, those actually just follow. So, so my view is that to work yourself out of a job, you have to give everything you have to make those who know better than you succeed, to make them be seen to know better than you. You, you, you really have to give everything you have as a leader. You have to be the, the, the person that they will always come to for advice. You have to be the person who always keeps the team together. You have yeah. to be the person who always makes people feel and realize that they know better than you. I think this is, this is one of the challenges we have as leaders and, and, and uh, what I've seen in, in my journey uh, around the continent is that we all tend to feel that the leader is the one who knows everything or should know everything. But, but my view is the leader is the one who has to put those who know better than him, put them up front and make people realize that they know better and get them to a point where whether you're there or not, they're doing their best. Um, so let I me, think that that is the ultimate goal of a leader. All right. So let me just come back there. Uh, I mean, working yourself out of a job, I guess it is almost as dramatic as you say, so that um, time for you to move on. And those yes. who know better can take over in today's yes. economic conditions. That statement might not sound too welcome because there's not always something to do on the other side of the horizon. But I yeah. like what you say in terms of that, that, that principle of making sure people understand that they know more than you do. And isn't that the case? Except if you are a CEO who came up through the finance division and you were the finance director, then I think the most difficult job in your team reporting to you would be the new finance director because <laughs> potentially yeah, exactly. you as much more. But in, exactly. essence, in <clears throat> essence, you usually came up through some discipline and therefore every other discipline reporting to you as the CEO, they honestly should know more than you and you must make them understand that all the time. You know more than me. How can I facilitate? How can I help you resource? I trust 100%. you. That's job. Okay. And this Thanks. is where most people miss it. If, mm. if I can just come in, if you'll allow me, on your point about uh, – Yes, in, in today's day and age, that might not be such a, a nice thing uh, to think of because people don't know what lies on the horizon. If I can give myself an ex as an example, I've always tried to develop and drive people to a point where they don't need me. And I must say, over the 27 years that I've been a manager and executive, I've never wanted of a job. Yeah, so that's the almost 
I don't know if the word dichotomy is right, but that's the irony yes. of the statement is if you do such a damn good job as a leader that you work yourself out of that job, there'll be other jobs waiting, other challenges waiting, and people knocking on your door to and, invite and in to help them. 100%. Do the Mm. This is the fear you have to get over. You have to, once you do it once, you never want of a job. You never want of a job. That's my belief. And, and it's coming from my experience. All right. Thank you for that one. The second point that you raise that describes to you an authentic leader is you say, as a leader, if those you have the privilege of leading no longer bring their problems to you, you have ceased to be their leader. Tell us a little bit about that one. Yeah, I think it's 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 almost akin to 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 the statement that uh, you're not you're not born a leader or you're not given those stripes. It's actually those stripes are accorded to you by those you have the privilege to lead. They're the ones who have to accept that you're their leader. So uh, by consequence, if they stop coming to you to help facilitate or to help guide, then in terms of their perception, you have ceased to be their leader. So so that that also just adds a little bit on the responsibility that you have to make yourself accessible. That should be by your conduct, by, 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 by your communication, um, by everything you do. People have to feel that we can go to him. He is the person who will help us. He is the person who will facilitate. And, and, and as I say, the minute they stop doing that, then you are probably in uh, a situation where they don't see you as their leader any longer. I remember the former Springbok of the uh, former Springbok coach Heineke Meyer told me when your when your players stop coming to you with the problems, you have a problem. Hundred uh, percent. But on the other hand, where's the balance between wanting them to solve things themselves, wanting them to be independent and empowered, and therefore leading the problems, dealing with them, solving them, as opposed to always running to the the boss. Yeah, well, I mean, in my in my earlier statement where I spoke that your, your role as a leader actually is to make sure that everyone is seeing the same thing. So you, you give the direction, you give the vision, so everybody knows what they're working towards. Um, your role is also someone who has to be able to make sure that they have the resources that they need. Um, they may be very astute technically, but they may not necessarily be able to access the resources so you you are still someone who has to be able to do that and you also have to be able to give advice um i think in in any role executive both ways as a leader i will learn from the experience of others be it from their technical experience or be it issues that they raise with me but by the same token i have some experience to share with them as well so i think i, I don't think it actually uh, is contradicts the fact that people should be empowered. I think when people are empowered, included in the empowerment means they should be able to understand the point at which they also need to go and look for help or guidance from someone. That is also an empowered person. Well said. A, a person who's too proud to go and make him or herself vulnerable to say, listen, um, my leader, I've got a challenge here. I've, I've tried very hard a specific problem. A person who's not willing to do that is not truly empowered. They're actually insecure. 100%. They're insecure or they feel that they might get their head cut off and there's something wrong in that leadership 
relationship. So, so I do think that if people freely feel that they come and share with you when they're stuck or they want to hear something from your experience or some guidance, then you're still in a space where you can say you're their leader. Okay. Malik, the third point you raise that you describe authentic leadership is people and relationships are at least 80% of your job as a leader. Yeah, yeah. Take us through that one. It sounds like a logical statement. <laughs> if you're leading the whole MTN in Sudan or if you're um, Rob Shooter and you're leading the whole MTN internationally, I mean, surely your biggest job is that organization. But you're saying of that, 80% is about people. It has, it, it has to be about people, uh, Adrian, and it has to be about um, taking from what I said earlier, inspiring people to do their best. Uh, um, you actually totally dependent on people. So I'm sitting here in uh, Khartoum, Sudan, and about uh, 900 kilometers from here, I have some staff there who are looking after my network and they're looking after my customers. I don't see what they're doing. Right. But uh, obviously that should be a terrifying situation to me because I'm responsible for whatever they do or they don't do. So my relationship with them, my communication with them, my understanding with them as people is paramount to my being being able to sit comfortably as a leader and enable them to carry on with the work without me panicking. So I think people are at the center of everything you do as a leader. If your job as a leader is to direct, to inspire, to motivate, it's about people. Again, uh, you make decisions. It's about people. Um, you, you, you create a vision and, and, and get harmony around a vision as a leader. It's about people. And uh, relationships is uh, not in the sense of just buddy-buddy. But relationships means that as a leader, particularly my direct reports, my executives who report to me, I need to understand them as people. Uh, I need to get to a point where I can see them. They walk in the morning and I can see, okay, today's not a good day. Um, I need to know that um, they have a child who's sick at home. I need to know that uh, maybe they have a loss in their family. I need to know that uh, maybe they're, they're ill. I need to be able to see that they're ill. If I don't have that foundation, everything else I try to do will be will be pretty much a waste of time. So my focus is around people. And uh, that also pertains to the external environment as a CEO. So 80% is people internally and externally. So I work in an environment where I have a regulator, I have ministers, policymakers uh, who, who all have different ideas about what should be happening. Uh, yeah. If I don't have a, a decent professional relationship with them, my voice will never get heard. MTN will never be represented. I will live my life just dealing with uh, surprises and, and curveballs. So everything actually has to be about people. It has to be about people. It's about how you relate, how you put yourself across to people. My, my last book that I wrote, Seamless Leadership, uh, I kind of start the book with a principle called SIPCOM. I call it the SIPCOM experience, S-I-P-C-O-M. And I explain that all human beings on this planet have these five dynamics in common. It's situations. The S-I stands for situations. We're all confronted by situations every day, hundreds of them every single day. Then the P is for people. 
Yes. We're all involved with people. We, we, our lives are yes. all about people from when we're born until the day we die. The C is for choices. So the yes. decisions we make, and we're faced with choices every single day revolving, uh, involving those situations and those people. That's the C. The O is for obstacles. Our lives, yes. we all have obstacles in our lives, challenges, the law of resistance, uh, issues. And yes. then finally, movement. The, the M is for movement. We're all trying to create movement in our lives, in, in improvement, growth, and so on. But the people element is exceptionally important as a leader. Now, the difference between a leader and an ordinary person, if you can call it that, is they seem to leverage SIPCOM better than others. In other words, they are better with relationships, creating 100%, 100%. movement, dealing with obstacles, and so on and so forth. Okay, no, I buy that absolutely. People and relationships are at least 80% of your job as a leader. Yes. The next one. The next one you raise that describe authentic leadership is the best compass for a leader is the heart. Yes. When you really get it, you will always lead from the heart as the heart never lies. Yes. Tell us more about that. Um, 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 Adrian, I think this one is, is something that I think over the years with all the scars and the, and the, the falls and the bumps that I've had in my journey as a leader, uh, I've come to, I've come to realize that, uh, one of the biggest drivers of, of the successful decisions I've made or success in, in, in motivating people or, or moving people, to coin your phrase, getting things moving, is that a lot of the time I've made decisions. I think it comes with a lot of experience, but you get to the point where you make decisions from your heart because uh, I, almost, I almost take it in a, in a, in a, in a relationship of love with your spouse or with your, your, your better half, um, your heart never lies. So I always use this example and say, so if you fall in love with someone and uh, then your parents decide that, no, that's not the one for you. We don't want you to marry that person because for whatever reason, it may be an issue of race or family or something. And uh, to accept that from your parents, you'd have to use your rational, your brain. You'd have to say, okay, fine, I see what they're saying. But you walk away and invariably something keeps pulling you back there. And it's your heart because your heart doesn't actually lie. Your heart, your heart puts you in a space where you really empathize or put yourself in someone else's shoes or do exactly what you feel and believe. Um, and I think the same applies to leadership. Um, there, there are certain decisions that I've avoided taking because I've sat and said, my heart has said to me, but if someone does that to you, or someone decides that for you, would you accept it? And my heart says to me, no, actually, it's not right. It's not fair. So I do think if you look in this day and age, some of the problems we have in the world with leadership, I think uh, the heart is missing in a lot of what people do. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's a powerful statement. Now, now this, it couldn't have been easy necessarily for you, thinking of your background being law, for example, yeah. <laughs> arrive at this realization. I mean, a typical, hardcore, successful, powerful lawyer, it's not necessarily about the heart. And um, no. and I know it's just a, a general statement and judgment I'm making, but the, the same with top corporate, go get things done type of individuals. Also, again, the heart is often missing. But but for you, that, that, that penny that dropped, that it's about the heart, did it come slowly or was there one specific incident that just threw you off one day and you realized? Uh, 
I think it, it probably it probably came a bit slowly, but uh, I, I think it also was a situation I was put into because I started my career in the banking world, being brought in to help set up a legal department in an mm. asset finance company. And then uh, once the legal department was up and running, they sort of extended that into collections, debt collections, and 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 customer service. So anything that happens after. Uh, the financing is done would come under me, be it insurance and that. And what happens there is you start getting thrown into the midst of people issues. It's no more just a legal issue. So now you're also managing people who are doing customer service. So you have someone who's got their car about to be repossessed and they come in the office and they're crying and they're wailing. So you're completely thrown into people issues and you start realizing that uh, at some point I found myself getting sucked into this and and I realized that this is what I really want to do. I really want to be involved in people. So it, it, it was gradual, but at some point, yes, I left the lawyer thing in the dust and and, and increasingly it is, it is actually the heart that has driven what I do, be it developing, motivating my staff be it developing or dealing with customers or or, 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 or dealing with regulators or increasingly as I've become more experienced, my heart has started playing a much bigger part in it. Yeah, that we, we need more heart, don't we? Uh, the heart will be closer connected maybe to your deepest values, what yes. matters most. But the heart yes. is an emotional organ and, yes. uh, and sometimes we let our emotions take charge and then our mind must regulate the heart a little bit, I guess. Hundred percent. You have those cases too, wouldn't you say? But, but I think you know, you know, Adrian. I think what, what if you look at what's happening around the world today? The heart has totally disappeared, and 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 we're in a space where yeah. the most atrocious things people can still explain them away. They can still stay rational, but uh, my belief is some of those people who can stand up and give a lovely discourse and explain and convince everyone why it's uh, why it's happening or why it's the right thing. When they walk and sit at home, uh, the conversation they're having with their heart is opposite to what they're saying. So yes, it can't it can't totally be emotional, but I think the, having the heart at the foundation of what you do is very important because I think it is it is it is the organ that at least questions you. It's almost like your conscience. Yeah, if I look at what it, happens to Steinoff, yeah. I mean, Steinoff, it's clear that the CEO never thought of people's feelings. And, 100%. Uh, all about himself in that whole, on that whole journey. Uh, it's very sad. If he listened to the, the real part of his heart, the genuine heart, he would not have done those things. He wouldn't have. And if you probably look into his heart now, his heart was probably telling him that that's not the right thing. Mm. All right. So, Another point that you raise, the last one in particular that describes authentic leadership to you is you must enjoy what you do or you can never lead. Man, I believe in this one. You're passionate about what you do. You're automatically probably going to lead. But tell us your, your, your view. Yeah, I mean, that's, that, that's my point because I do, I do a lot of mentoring of, 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 of uh, young managers and that and trying to get them into the space where they, they reach their potential. And one of the things I always tell them at the start is, look, if you want to be a manager or an executive 
or a leader because you think you'll get a bigger office and a better salary and better benefits and that you will end up a very sorry person at some point in your life. Because uh, what is important is, as I described earlier, you need to be able to accept sitting here. I have 500 people I'm responsible for and they're flung around the third largest country in this continent. So I very rarely see some of them, but I take full responsibility for what they do and what they don't do. Um, if I don't have passion for what I'm doing, then I'm in real trouble. So mm-hmm. you need you need to really feel you wake up in the morning and you feel you want to add value. You want to do something that brings value and you are adding value. And that's what that's what keeps me going is that passion and that enjoyment of what I'm doing, because it can be a very lonely space. Um, and if so, you if if you're not passionate about it, then the loneliness will kill you. And obviously, part of your passion, uh, I don't think it is to get data to people necessarily, or uh, you know, contracts or, or that sort of thing. Although it's important for the business, part of your passion is dealing with people. What else forms your passion? What makes you Wake up on a Monday morning excited about Monday morning rather than Friday afternoon. It's uh, the most beautiful thing for me is that I'm in, I'm in a space where I wake up and I feel like I'm adding value to people's lives. So I have the advantage of working in an industry that has basically become part and parcel of the lives of people. Um, but what's more important is in, 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 in Africa, as you go around the continent, there are a lot of marginalized people. So we go to a place and we switch on the network in that place. And the day you switch it on, when you see people's faces and you see what's changed and you come back three months later and you see how much benefit is brought, what people are able to do and that, 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 I mean, there's, there's no better feeling. So, so for me, it's also a little question when I come home every day, I spend five minutes with myself and I say, okay, what value did you add today? be it to an individual, be it to a company, to the country, to the community. And if I'm constantly feeling like I'm adding value, then, then I, I don't think there's any better feeling. Um, I, I just want to ask you, Malik, I mean, you, uh, this is the first time you and I are actually meeting voice yes. to voice, in a sense, yes. and just now we spoke face to face on Skype. Before that, it was more through social media, through our global leadership platform and, yes. and other games. But, but I sensed an energy. There's a a sense of pace, of energy, of passion for life through those mediums I sensed it with you. A a childlike desire to make a difference, to to be involved, to make the world a better place. Now, I like what you do there. Those five minutes, do you stop in your car in front of the garage and sit for five minutes? Do you say hi to the family and then go to your room or outside in the garden? No, what I do is I come home. Say hi to the family, how would you, how was school, all of that. And then everybody knows I have a, a little armchair that I sit on that just looks out on the window to the street. And I sit there for five minutes and it's, it's sort of what just brings me down. And I just, I, I just uh, sit and talk to myself. I assess my day and I try and find somewhere where I added value today. And if I haven't, then it means when I wake up tomorrow, I have this burning a desire to go and add value for that day and also for the one I owe for the previous day. And and it's a five-minute chat I have with myself. And 
uh, you know what happens, Adrian, when you do that, it just becomes unconscious afterwards. You just tend to, to be looking for opportunities to, to add value automatically. It just happens. But I don't think, I don't think you can get sustainable uh, passion and enjoyment for what you do if you don't see the value. Yeah, and, and, and life is not going to offer you on a platter the opportunity to do that. You have to no. make time to do it. Yes, most definitely. All right. Let's, let's, we're coming back to leadership, but before we go there, Malik, let's just understand briefly uh, MTN in Sudan. How big is MTN there? What kind of player is it in that market? You said something about 500 employees across, scattered across yeah, the desert. Yeah, scattered across 500, 500 employees, uh, uh, just under 8 million subscribers. Um, we are the second out of three operators in this in this market. We have uh, the, the the market leader in terms of market share has uh, has been here I think some nine years before us, but I think the gap in market share has closed. Um, uh, we're in a country uh, Sudan that has has had a lot of challenges. It's it's a country that has been under international sanctions for a better part of 20 years um, it's coming out of those sanctions um, so you, you get a sense in this country that it, it's a country that's just looking for for help and when I say help I don't mean the usual help that we talk about like mm-hmm. loans from the IMF and then it's just uh, 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 people to come and share their experience and to help uh, uh, be a catalyst to, 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 to the opportunity in this country it's um, uh, it has wonderfully educated people, but they've been in this closed uh, uh, society for 20 years because of the embargo. And uh, every day they just don't cease to amaze me with the things that are happening. The staff, um, um, when you light the, the the flame with them, they just take off. And and I think for me this is what I'm enjoying so much here. As you take also from my name Malik I also am a Muslim and, and mm. Sudan is a Muslim country so uh, I've also have a, a spiritual journey which which very much coincides with, with, with what I see as a leader and the whole thing about adding value and doing what's right and I think I've sort of found an anchor in Sudan because it's a, it's a, it's a country that is rich in Islamic history and Islamic education so I've also found another level of spirituality here. So I think uh, uh, um, much as we, we, you see what the media is when, 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 when you say Sudan, even back home when I tell people I work in Sudan, they say, are you okay? Are you fine? Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm, actually, uh, I'm actually learning something else about humanity here in Sudan. And, and it's sad to say as a South African, but the pleasure I have in Sudan is walking around at any time of the day, leaving my phone in my car and popping into a shop and it's never taken. Um, mm-hmm. So I think we learn we learn a lot more. It's, Sudan has started asking, making me ask questions about what is development actually. Yeah. Because in Africa we are quoted as a more developed country. And yes, uh, you are, in a sense, South Africa is. But I'm starting to ask myself from a human perspective, yeah. uh, how, how developed are we if we're able to, to, to mindlessly kill each other? And here I can walk around in a place where there's a lot, there's still abject poverty. 
um, but nobody touches me and everybody wants to help me. And, you know, an example, Adrian, you walk down the street in Sudan and you'll see these big um, clay pots outside every other house and there's cold water in there and a cup next to it. And so the owner of the house has put it up there. So anybody who's walking in the street, uh, because it gets hot here, who's feeling thirsty or tired, can stop under the tree and have a, a, a drink of water. You know, it makes sure. you think a lot about, well, sure. you know, what, yeah. do we, what we actually value as the right things. You start learning. It's all, you feel like a kid. It's like I'm learning again. And the question is, what have we lost, and other so-called first world economies perhaps, what have we lost on this journey towards so-called sophistication and yeah, first world I, I, economies yeah. and so on? We've lost something yeah. in the process, I guess. Yeah, I mean, in South Africa, isn't it, we call it Ubuntu. So, mm. so I don't know if you have time for me to tell you little anecdotes I used to teach people. So when I was... a uh, uh, chief ethics and compliance officer. It's something I used, but when I was a CEO of MTN Benin, we did uh, um, some sort of ethics awareness, and we even got asked by the government to come and share with us what we had done in our ethics program. So I stand in a room of uh, government officials and young people in, in Benin and West Africa, and I say, you know, uh, we need to really get this ethics thing right in our communities. And they First person puts their hand up and says to me, yeah, but you know, Malik, you know, in West Africa, we have a culture of corruption. And uh, I say you are 150% wrong. There's no such thing. So they say, what do you mean? And I say, when I arrived in Benin, it's a coastal country. My first drive along the coast with my driver, I saw something very interesting. I told him to stop. I've seen it in Ghana as well and in Nigeria. You see a, a long line of people. Male, female, young, old, and they're all together. They're all pulling on a rope. I stopped to see what are these people doing. So there's a massive net in the water. So they're pulling in that net. And what happens when that net comes in, all the fish there, every single person who's participated, young, old, male, female, they come with a little bowl and they all get a share of the catch. So I asked them, I said, in an environment like that where everything is shared and everyone is equal effort and shared, is there a basis for corruption? And they say, no. I said, so how long have people been fishing on this coast? They say for centuries, it's part of our culture. I say, okay, mm -hmm. now you understand what your culture is. Lovely. That's such a nice story. Now you understand but what your culture is. So you, the whole issue about corruption and that, it's, it's the same thing. In South Africa, if I go to my home village, to a village in the rural areas, I ask people, are you likely to find someone begging in the street? And they'll say no. And I say, why? I say, because if you leave one of your family members begging in the street, when you're okay, the, the, the society, the community will kill you. I say, but when we get into Johannesburg with the bright lights and Cape Town, we forget that. Fascinating. You're making me think. I mean, that's... So, you know, you ask, what's the essence then of, of one's culture? We, we start believing false voices and opinions. A hundred percent. hundred percent. We actually have a culture that answers all the problems that we see in the world today. But we've managed to leave that culture alone. 
Isn't that sad? Everything I do, and I say when I talk to people about customer service, same thing. I say, you guys, everyone tells me that in, in Africa we don't have a culture of service. I say, but when a guest comes to your house, if you have one chair in your house, who gets it? The guest. If you have one cup in your house, who gets it? The guest. When the guest arrives, how are they received? All the kids, the whole family, everybody's there to welcome them, and everyone's fussing about them. One bed in the house, the guest will sleep on it. That's our culture, right, of welcoming people. But I tell the staff, but then I put you in a shop and I pay you for it. And then you forget. When someone walks in, nobody attends to them. Nobody's interested in them. I say, but at home, why do you do it? They say, because that's our culture. We'll get killed if we don't do it. The society will look down on us. And I say, but when I pay you to do it, you forget it. Does that make sense? And the whole room just goes silent. Yes, you're making me go silent. This is a bit of a radio show, so we can't go silent. But that's um, <laughs> it's it's essence thinking, Malik. It's 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 leadership thinking that you're talking about. I remember yeah. having Khalim Plante on the show, and and he I asked him about our leadership culture, and he said we have a, a activist leadership culture. We're a nation of activists. And, That's it. And when, when things go wrong, then we all activate and we we rally around to to stop it, you know. But but um, but we're not believing the the real voices of who we are anymore. We're hundred percent. We've lost we've lost mm-hmm. what we have that could prevent the things that make us activists in the first yes. place. It's yeah. very simple things. So just tell me then. Maybe building on what we've said so far, I, I, I wanted to ask you what, what what has leading up in Africa taught you about leadership? And, and actually, you've already started answering yeah, that. So keep, I've, I've keep already question, started. Keep that question in mind when I ask you, collectively speaking, are we leading Africa effectively enough in order to leverage its potential? And again, it's, it builds on, on what we discussed the last few minutes, I think. But What's yeah. your response to that? I mean, we. Yeah, I think I think Adrian, it's probably it's probably one of the most painful things uh, in, in 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 my journey is that we go around and we keep seeing the same mistakes everywhere. But when you, when you break through the crust of that 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 those mistakes, the corruption and on, when you look under, uh, there's there's just so much magic. There's Uh, people who want to do good. There's people who have amazing things to do. There's people who are doing amazing things. And um, we've just, we've just, I think one of the things that, 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 that was our strength in Africa is that communal approach to things. And people, some people will stand up and say, I'm not going into the debate about capitalism and socialism. No, I'm going into the debate about community, neighbor. I mean, right now, in, 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 in South Africa, when we're suffering from high crime, the, our first response is to have neighborhood watches. And uh, we look at yeah. it from a security perspective, but we forget why we're doing that. It's because traditionally we all looked out for each other. And I mm-hmm. think this is what's missing in, 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 in Africa. We, we have absorbed a, a, a culture that could be useful for us in some way. If you look at economics and various things, we could learn a lot. But in absorbing it, we haven't absorbed it. We've swallowed it. We've swallowed the bad in it as well. We're all hell-bent on this thing of enrichment and making sure that your kids go to the best schools and regardless of whether they're dead bodies, 
behind you. So we've we've absorbed something. It's very sad in Africa. We've absorbed something. And and these little anecdotes I'm sharing with you shows that we have something much more powerful than that. And we've just forgotten it. It's gotten lost in the dust. And 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 I I tell you, I've worked now at, yeah about seven seven or eight countries in Africa, and I've been in the south, the east, central, west, and now north. And uh, I'm still, my heart is still crying about the same thing. We are very poor in leadership. Um, but it doesn't mean we don't have it. We have a lot of people who can make a difference. So, but so I yes, think, how are we going to turn it around in South Africa? And then obviously in Africa and in the world. Yeah. What do you think I is think, the state of leadership in the world? Uh, yeah. We and we bring it back to what are we going to do to turn it around? Yeah. Well, I think I think I can talk about the, how you, our relationship started. I mean, on social media, and it's really now picked up momentum. Is I made a statement to you as well that I feel like there's more I should do. That I've been sitting back too long. That uh, I'm not talking enough. And and I do I do feel without I'm not saying it in an arrogant way, but I do feel that I have something to offer. I have experience to offer. I'm a South African. I'm uh, born in Kroenstadt in the Free State, and uh, I feel I have a lot to offer, and I feel I owe it to my country that whatever opportunity I've had in my life to put me where I am and have all this experience that I have, um, I, I actually need, when the circle closes, I need to have shared this and given it back to my country. And I think it's always been a thought, but when I look at what's happening at home now, I think we need to we need to come in and start helping a lot more. I always describe to people and say people like myself are probably culpable in this because if in a normal conversation someone says to me, Malik, why don't you get involved in politics? Why don't you get the first reaction we have is no. Politics mm. is uh, it's for crooks. That's what we yeah. say. Yeah. That's what we say. And then and then we sit back and don't get involved. And then we spend the rest of our life crying about what's being done or not done to us. Correct. So yeah. um, I don't think I, I think we've given we've given uh, politics too much of a mystical status. Politics is everything. It's every day. It's you and me walking in the street every day, buying, pushing, making things move. Like you say, that's that's a good old politics. So it means it can be in a neighborhood. You can make things move. Um, and I think in South Africa, we have a lot of very good leaders in the vein that I'm discussing. But uh, somehow just sort of disappeared into silence. And I think it's just to reactivate that. In the past in South Africa, we had a reason to make noise. All those leaders were at the forefront because they had something to fight about, right? But uh, now I think what we need to do is get back to, 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 to teaching ourselves what it is we are doing to add value. You know, that little question I ask myself, I think we have to reactivate that in each and every one of us. And, and, and I think then our country will start healing. Malik Milamu, CEO of MTN in Sudan, I'm, I'm just listening because I think you've, my last hope was that you'd give a message to leaders, but I think you've done that, and I don't want to spoil it. 
I, 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 I do want to welcome you not only on this Leadership Masterclass for our Global Leadership Platform, but, but on the Global Leadership Platform itself, I very quickly saw as you got involved as an ordinary user, we want everyone to get involved. But as you yes. got involved, I knew you needed to become a global contributor, which means <laughs> it's, it's, it's extraordinary status where you share your views on leadership. And, and I hope we can take this kind of conversation, this kind of debate onto that platform as we evolve the platform into a global conversation on leadership and how we can turn around this, this, this mess we find ourselves in. We really believe that the world needs a focus on leadership conversation and leadership doing and improving. So we, we thank you for your time today and for the time you give to that platform and look forward to a, a long, fruitful relationship as we try and do exactly what you, what you want to do, is um, make the world a better place. Yeah. No, I mean, Adrian, it's an absolute pleasure. And, and, and I will not for one minute regret having, having found myself uh, in this whole global leadership platform uh, initiative. Um, I actually kick myself and say, why didn't you do it before? But uh, it's never too late. And uh, I do. I do promise to, to participate as much as possible. And uh, I mean, everything I've said today, I, I believe it from my head to my toe. And uh, I think yeah, my time is coming to, to this is probably the way to start trying to see how we can heal uh, our country and our continent. Because I, I, I believe completely in, in, in what this continent has to offer the world. Um, we just have to do it. And I think this initiative is absolutely it's amazing. And, and I will do as much as possible with your guidance because of my network in, in, in this continent to get more people onto this and we get more flavor and, uh, and, 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 and start realizing that there are millions of like-minded people. So I, I salute you for this and, and I'll certainly do everything I can to fly the flag. There is much more good out there than bad. Thank you, Malik Milambu, CEO of yeah. MTN in Sudan, also a global contributor on Global Leadership Platform. We look forward to playing this live and um, it's been an absolute honor speaking with you and yeah we look forward to being with the rest of you our listeners out there all leadership lovers uh, look forward to being with you again next week on the global leadership platform on cliff central and of course you can get lots of uh, sections of this conversation and the full conversation on the global leadership platform as well all the best thank you for joining us cheers everyone this is cliffcentral.com